This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors um, podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host is Dick. Well, that's fine. It's Yay. a co-host. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, a co-host that decided co-host. to show up today is yeah. Mark Munzee from Erie Travels. Hi, Thank gang. Nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and our guest today, since we started off so great already, is Steve Altier. Yay! Welcome, Steve. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yes, yes. Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. So for those of you that have been listening recently, you may have heard my voice sort of crack, turning to Kathleen Turner or worse. Um, so I actually had to get antibiotics, so I can't drink tonight. So I'm sorry that last day of antibiotics. But I did do a Jody Lynn Nye, so I have a hot chocolate with marshmallows because that's oh, I love it. Spade, so played a little tribute to her, and it's also like 32 degrees here. So <laughs> up here in the mountains, let's have some hot chocolate. Okay, Mark, what are you drinking? Uh, because I also have had some uh, voice issues of late. Uh, I decided to go with a nice uh, chai tea from our new friends at Morbid Curiosities, which I think is fantastic. Uh, is and this brilliant. is their Bell Book and Candle, which Ooh, uh, Beauty is, and the Beast blend. It's buttery and daring chai. And I will definitely say buttery. It is very, very good. And, uh, you know, this is the way. Love it. So. Oh, I love that. Okay. Steve, what are you drinking? Well, I just got back from dinner a little bit ago, but I am drinking a Dr. Pepper from Culver's. Okay, we all are not, you know, anybody, this is our G-rated drink along. Yeah, this is the PG show. If you are, okay, that's totally fine. So Steve, for anybody out there that may not know you, what do you write? Um, I write the Paranormal Mystery Suspense. Um, it's young adult, paranormal. And I also have a um, family-friendly line of middle-grade chapter books. Very but cool. My, my main area that I like to write is the young adult. Um, I have the Lizardville ghost stories and Lizardville side stories. Awesome. Awesome. So let's Scooby-Doo this all the way back. When did you start writing? Let's go. Well, I started writing more when I was a child and, and liking to tell stories, but um, life kind of took me in a different direction. Um, after high school, I went into the military. I served four years in the United States Air Force. Thank you for your service. Well, thank you. Um, I, you know, got married, had a family, and always had this desire and passion to write. But once my youngest daughter moved out, graduated high school, went on to college, I was like, you know what? Actually, it was a little bit before that, but I decided to follow my own dreams. And um, I've been writing for about 10, 11 years, 12 years now, something like that. Wow. So, no, that's pretty cool. And I think it's great when I tell people all the time, you get to decide what you want to be when you grow up so many times in your life. So when you get asked that as a kid, what do you want to be when I grow? I don't know. I know what I want to be right now, but the health, I know what I want to be 
like when I grow up again and again and again and again, I still change my mind all the time. So, um, what, uh, so what was your first book you ever published or what was your first thing you ever published? Let's go back to that question. Um, the first thing I ever published was we can't move at Christmas, which was a middle grade chapter book for the great for the five, six year old group, um, up to 10 year old. And it was just, I had a dream. I was sick over Christmas. My company that I worked for was talking about moving everybody up north to Ohio. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be out of a job. And it just, it inspired a story. I, I was running 102 fever, laying in bed one night. And I'm, this, this brother and sister found themselves moving at Christmas time. And dad kept reassuring him. Don't you worry, Santa's got this elite group of elves called the Family Moving Department, and they will attract kids moving all year long, and especially at Christmas. So you're going to get your presents. But it was just a good, fun story. Um, it's kind of funny because like a couple weeks into it, I'm, I'm, I told my wife after I got better, I'm going to write. I'm, I'm going back to what I wanted to do. I'm going to start writing stories. And I, I, a couple weeks later, I'm sitting there just typing away, and she goes, who are you chatting with? Like, I'm not, I, mean, I was online chatting with somebody, you know, and I'm like, nobody, I'm writing a story. I told you. She's like, what? Really? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just I've always wanted to. And it was just such a vivid dream. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I just had to put, think, it, put it on paper. I think that's amazing. And I think as an author, some of our best we don't talk about this a lot on the show, but there is a lot of like. I, I don't know. I think stories continue in our dreams and ideas come for even parts of stories in our dreams. Or you're like Mark who writes true stories and gets haunted by things that he decides to bring home. You know, it's like those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, is there something on the camera behind me that I'm not seeing? <laughs> I don't ever bring them up anymore. They're too frequent, Mark. <laughs> I mean, I, I see like something with a pumpkin head and like, Oh, yeah, yeah. That's werewolf or Godzilla or something back there. That's this a werewolf, is, Steve. It's a werewolf. It's a Monday. So that's, that's Monday. I actually, it's so funny, Mark. I have to say this, even though I, I've been drinking, now people get to see the sober Erica. But um, I was watching the TV show Ghosts. Have you seen this yet? Oh, yeah. I love that show. Uh, which and, one? The British or the US one? The US one. Okay. The British and, one's good too. Uh, can I tell my freaking story? Saying, watch it. This is Steve's show, and I'm trying to tell oh, a sorry, Steve. story so we can get back to Steve, and you were interrupting. <laughs> anyway, Good I was it. watching the American version of this show. I think it's the American version. Anyway, it's got the girl from My Zombie in it. And it was funny because she starts off like the second episode or something with sage. And they're like, oh, what is that great smell? Maybe we can follow that smell. And it just made me laugh my ass off because I, I started going, I wonder if ghosts really think that. Oh, 100%. I love it. I love it. Weird. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Steve can get into this stuff because he knows a lot about paranormal too. So, Well, I, I tell you, I love that show because it was so original. I mean, I'm, I mean, a family living with a group of ghosts like that. I mean, it just, it was amazing. I, and I still laugh, love it and laugh every time I watch it. So yeah. I thought, it, I think it's incredibly well written and I love the husband, the way the husband's character. Oh yeah, the husband dealing with it all. Great. So funny. He's and the, uh, the British version, one of the guys is a caveman instead of the native American. 
and and there's just a great line where and, and he's got a british soldier instead of you know the from like world war one over there and uh and at one point he's like well that's it it's guerrilla war and the caveman does this great line where he just goes uh guerrilla always win <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah and that's and that's when i fell in love with that show i was like all right they they get it they get it so Right, so that so that brings me to my question, Steve. Your books, you're writing for young adults. How do you balance humor with story? You know, it's it's a difficult question um, because I, I I'm not sure I put enough humor into my stories, um, and it's something I've been trying to work on. I read, I was reading um, a book, and it's written by uh, Andy Weir, who does the uh, the The Martian. And I think there's a lot of humorous moments in there. And I was like, you know, I want to add more humor to my stories because if it's too serious, you can lose people because it's too serious. So I'm trying to, you know, um, one of the things with the, being published with the Four Horsemen now, I'm able to kind of rewrite some of my books a little bit to re-release them. So I've been working on some of that stuff and adding a, a few little tweaks here and there from the original versions. Good. Well, and I have to say, humor is a very interesting thing to to write and to, to get across in stories. But I feel this is also true. Like even like we were just talking about ghosts, the story ghosts. I mean, you can get Academy Awards for humor things, but you can never get an Oscar. Like if you look at some of the acting in humorous movies, to me, pulling off a joke and being able to get an audience to laugh is way harder than getting an audience to cry sometimes. You know, you can obviously do that, but getting an audience to actually find something incredibly funny and hysterical and not slapstick sort of jackass humor, right? Which no offense to jackass fans, but a lot of that is, I'm not a huge fan and don't find it funny when people hurt themselves. Like I know yeah. people like that kind of humor, but that's not my gag. It, yeah. it can be yours, but it's not mine. Like I don't, find it funny watching somebody injure themselves um but truly pulling off a, a comedic thing especially as the straight not um sexually but like as the straight man where you're not intending to be wacky i think it's it's an amazing thing so i think it's great that you're endeavoring to do that in any stories because it is it is hard to mix humor in sometimes with <clears throat> now you're you're lizardville oh, i'm sorry Mark. Go ahead, sir. You you were it's your show. You're gone. I, I was uh when I wrote the Ghost Hunter originally, um, and my daughter likes to read some of my work. So I was sending her chapters of it. And I kind of turned the character where he becomes like a jerk. And I get an email from her or a text message late at night, and like midnight wakes me up and I look at it and she goes, Gerald's such a jerk. <laughs> You know, and then later she's like, oh, man, now he's like being a, a, you know, a funny dude and trying to be, you know, the hero guy. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to take him all over the place because he's trying to find himself. He's a 16 year old kid who's going to college and he's just trying to find himself and he doesn't know how to deal with some of the older kids. But, yeah, I mean, I, I tried to work different attitudes into that one as well. Very cool. You were going to ask a question, Mark. I was going to ask a question about uh, Lizardville itself. So uh, tell us about the town. Well, Lizardville is a small town in central Pennsylvania. It's actually called Mill Hall. Um, it's probably five, 600 people that live there. I grew up there in 1969 
my parents bought the dam keeper's house. Across the street was an old abandoned axe factory and a broken down dam that was wiped out years prior in a flood. And it's, it's hard to believe that the county or the, the state or somebody had put the land up for sale. And so my parents put a bid in on the house and they won. They, they, it was 1969. I'll never forget. They, they were telling me the story. Um, they were going to go on a vacation, but if they got the house, they were going to, you know, buy the house instead of a vacation. So they won the house and got the bid for $4,000 and the deed read to the water's edge. So the water's edge would have been, you know, just in, you know, just shy of our backyard, but because of the broken dam, now the water's edge claimed about 70 or 80 acres all the way to the, to the Creek. So the way they wrote this, we ended up getting this, all these swamp lands and everything else. And for us kids, I mean, it was, fantastic mom said don't go play over there which meant go play right i mean yeah. she, if she would have yeah. said go over there knock yourself out kill yourself i don't care i'd have never went over there mm. but you know no it was just too fascinating a lot of kids were going to the playground um going to swing sets and slides me and the guys that I, I grew up with and especially the older we got the more adventurous we became in the axe factory um, it was just, there was so many fascinating things about it. And my love for the unexplained and the paranormal really grew. Um, and again, back when I started writing, I was writing just middle grade chapter books. And I was at a Barnes and Noble doing a book signing on my third middle grade story, Blast Off. And I had a couple of kids come in. They were probably 12, 13 year old boys. They looked at it. They looked at me and they're like, dude, this is baby stuff. What do you got for us? And I'm like, uh, nothing really, you know? And it was the same week I was talking with a friend that I went to school with who said, how many people can say they grew up in Lizardville? Because that was the nickname. That's the road. The road was Lizardville Road. And uh, the light bulb kind of came on and said, hey, you know, why don't you write about your kids' stories, you know, about, you know, your childhood? And I started writing about Lizardville. Some of the adventures we went on was kind of boring, I really spiced it up with a lot of ghost activity. Um, just, I mean, like when I was a kid, I never really saw or talked with a ghost. I think I would have been petrified if I did. Um, but in the story, I'm kind of a brave guy. And I can, because Johnny's me. I'm Johnny. Um, just to give that away. I, I'm oh, my John gosh. Secrets revealed on Drinking oh with Authors. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm John Malone. And uh you know, I, it was funny because my wife likes to read every chapter when I'm done. And uh, so I give them to her and she, did this happen? Did that happen? Did this happen? I'm like, stop. I mean, maybe I think that one did. But she was she was really intrigued. She was, I'm learning a lot about your childhood. I'm like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Nope. She's probably filing for a divorce or calling an attorney at this point. I was going to say, you're opening the door for many, many things, Steve. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. What, with your background, I understand the dream and stuff, but how come you went younger? Because I've talked to other people who've been in the military who've chosen to be do writing, right? But they mm -hmm. do not usually go for younger books, which is not a, a bad. It's just what, because I'm quite sure during your experiences, <clears throat> It wasn't all roses and, you know, peeling potatoes like in MASH. No. Um, you know, so what made you not go a little more um, like 
action adventure or thriller or you know other things like that i'm just curious um i wasn't sure i really wasn't sure about all the writing process so i was you know like a fish thrown you know out of the water with my first book i i got suckered so i fell for a vanity press the very first time out you know i there was a company that reached out to me. Uh, I believe it was Author House. They wanted to, and I don't know if I should mention that in there. So no, you that. totally can. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to explain because some listeners may not know what a vanity press is and why so consider them a good thing. They, I, I had found them. I was looking for publishers, you know, small independent presses, what people told me to look for. I found this group. They said, yes, we would love your story. Send it in. Next thing I know, I'm forking out $1,500 for them to publish my book. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. A couple of weeks later, I mean, I filled out some paperwork on what I thought the cover might look like, some other illustrations to put in there, um, another $1,000 here. Next thing I realized, um, they're like, here, your book's on the market. I'm like, what about editing? Oh, you didn't pay for that. So I'm like, I mean, this thing was like, it needed editing you know, really bad. And uh, I, I learned a valuable lesson. You know, I was out like $2,500. And and it really dawned on me when I told them, you know, I'm not really happy. And so the guy calls me back the next day and he goes, Steve, I have an interview lined up with the New York Times. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he goes, no, just $6,000 and you get your interview. And I'm like, $6,000? You want me to pay you $6,000? And he goes, I thought you wanted to be taken seriously. If you don't want to be a serious writer, you just let us know. And I'm like, look, we're done. We are done. And yeah, and, and so, all they were doing was preying on me. So yeah. I, I tell people all the time when I, when I talk in panels, if someone's asking you for money, run. Run fast. Yes. I wish I had learned that before I forked out the money. 100%. Well, and that's, I think, part of the situation with vanity presses that people don't realize is they come across, and especially if you are na naive, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but if you're new into this game and people, and somebody goes, I want to publish your book. I mean, those are the words that every author wants mm -hmm. to hear, especially if you do try to go the traditional route and get rejection letters and stuff like that. And when I say traditional, I mean, any press from a small press all the way up to a large press because that's traditional like that is a traditional route to go it's just how they manage it right and um but vanity presses seem very appetizing and they've made a market out of going okay you want to publish it we'll publish anything you give me right and it's um, insane how many people fork over thousands of dollars to have their book published because they don't realize any differently and right. I'm not saying publishing your book should be free. If you get in with a press, there are different things that they can do, like a true press. But nobody should ask you for thousands of dollars to publish your book. You should never be giving over money to publish your book unless you're going a self-published route. And then hybrid publishers are a mixture of a traditional and you doing it yourself but you got to go, is this actually a true hybrid publisher or is this a vanity press? And mm -hmm. 
there are differences. I'm not going to use up Steve's show to go over the differences, but if somebody literally goes, give me thousands of dollars, tell them to go fuck themselves. Cause that's exactly a vanity press square. And it's not, no, it's no good. So, okay. So you went through the um, vanity press journey. We're coming out the other side. What's next? Well, I mean, like for me, I, 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 when I was young, I struggled with reading. You know, I loved a good story, but I struggled with reading. You know, I, I felt like when you're, when you're a young kid, you know, you're, you're dealing with picture books, you know, run, spot, run, see, spot, run, and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, they gradually, you move from that to a larger book. Mm-hmm. And it felt overwhelming to me, like, am I, I'm never going to finish this story. So I looked back and, and I overcame that when, when someone gave me um, Carrie written by Stephen King, um, I couldn't put it down. You know, that's when I, I was like, you know what? It's just a matter of what I'm reading because what they were giving me in school, I didn't really want to read. It's just like today in life. I mean, from time to time, um, when I was in the corporate world all the time, they would say, hey, here, read this book, how to be a better manager, how to be a better you know, employee. I'm like, I don't want to read this. You know, this is not, they're like, well, you love to read, not this. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love to read, but not, I don't need a self-help book. I mean, you know, they all say the same thing over and over and over. I mean, they're good from time to time, but I'll, let me pick it. I don't want you to pick it. And uh, so I wanted to write a story that, that didn't feel like it's 15 to 20,000 words. It's 100 pages, just a good transition book from picture books to larger size novels. And that's kind of what I wanted, what I wanted to write. And uh, I got more into the Gabby and Maddox, which is the siblings that I talked about in the book. And I started taking them on adventures. So like one, we went to Italy. Um, then we did a blast off where they're going to outer space. Um, I've got another one ready to go. And I've got some great artwork from a Disney artist um, and it's they're going up to Niagara Falls and it's over the falls with Gabby and Maddox. So I just I love them and, and the kids love them. And I think if I can capture a younger reader in that six to 10 year old group and they like my stories, then they can graduate and move into some of my adventure stories. A lot of my um, young adult stories are not really scary, scary. They're more of an adventure and edge of your seat type of suspense. So, cause I don't like getting into all the gore and I, I don't like using foul language in it. I mean, the worst thing I have in one of my books was shit because the kids say, hey, don't be a shit. So I'm, I'm gearing it for kids. I, I, I know they probably heard worse from they were, when they were six years old, but you know, in today's world, but I just, I don't want to, I don't like that. I think I can tell a good story without using all the profanity. I think that's brilliant. I was just, I was curious why you went that route instead of other routes. And then you mentioned on the Livizardville thing that you did or did not have a lot of paranormal experiences in this weird swampy <coughs> factory. There were things that happened. There's a few other legends in the area. <clears throat> I mean, there's a I've had some friends call me on a Sunday morning, two of my buddies that I went to school with, and they said, Steve, we saw the white monkey this morning. So the the legends have it that the factory owner of the axe factory, because it was really an axe factory, um, 
the owner used to go to South, go to Africa and he would bring back monkeys. And then when the factory dried up and stuff, the monkeys ended up moving into the woods and now they say they haunt the woods. So the guys say that they still see the white monkeys. And of course I asked them, I said, where are you at right now? And they, well, we're at the Linger Inn. I'm like, well, how much have you had to drink? It's not even noon yet. <laughs> so, and they were like, well, I mean, we've had a couple. <clears throat> I'm sure they were drinking all morning when they were fishing too. That's why they saw monkeys, white monkeys in the woods. But now, there's a lot of um, deep, rich folklores and history in Pennsylvania and a lot of haunting that goes on up there. And, oh, I, mean, yeah. and I just draw some of my experiences from that um, I've had some of my relatives like, you should read this book about Pennsylvania. I said, I don't want to. I don't want anyone to say that you copied somebody else. If I've never read it, they can't say that. But no, I mean, when I was a kid, there were some ex unexplained things that happened to us. Um, I swear I saw like some lights and they weren't there and then they were there and, and then they shot like off. And I was like, everyone said I was nuts. So I just, I kept my mouth shut on things, but then others would come to me and say, you know, I, I think I saw them too. But I mean, do we ever see any like, you know, apparitions form and, and a, a ghost come out of the woodwork and, and talk to me? No, I've never seen that. Um, I have been on a few ghost hunts we were in and I hope, hope I'm not just jumping all over the place. You can jump all, it's your podcast. We don't care if you jump all over the place. <laughs> so my That's wife the cool is, thing about this podcast. It's unscripted. We don't care where we're going at all. I know this says Dr. Pepper on it, but I mean, I, I, I maybe I did put something in it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm, I'm squarely in hot chocolate, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> all those antibiotics have fun effects anyway. So, yeah, We were in, uh, my wife's from St. Louis, and... Uh, we were up there. She lived in a small town on the other side of the river called Alton, Illinois. And there's a place called McPike Mansion. And they say it's very, very haunted. Um, one of the haunted places in America. And I'm like, OK. So we were going by there one day. I said, oh, we got to stop. We got to stop. I want to see it. She go, you can't. I don't. But I talked her into it. We pulled into the driveway. I got out of the car. I mean, she's like, no, don't get out. And yeah, I got to go. I got to walk up and take a look. And the lady next door came out and she's like, um, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I'm a writer. I'm fascinated. I write paranormal mysteries. And I said, I just, I've heard some things about your home, uh, this home. And I just wanted to see it. And she goes, oh, well, let me grab the keys. And I'm like, you kidding. She's like, no, no. I mean, so she took us inside. My daughter and I, and my wife went in. Um, the first thing she did was we went up the steps. She opened the door. She explained to me that the flooring is not good, so we couldn't go in the front entrance. Um, she talked to the family and told them we were going to come in and ask if it was okay. Um, we went around back. There's a gravesite. The family's buried on the property in the back. And I'm like, this was just amazing. And one of the, um, the concrete slabs is all busted, and they say that they escaped that way. But anyway... So we went down into the boiler room in the basement. My daughter and I were down there. We were talking. Um, my wife and the woman whose name is Sharon, I've kind of become good friends with her. They were over in the wine cellar area. And my daughter and I were talking. We shot a bunch of video. And I mean, we didn't see anything. No real, it's the middle of daylight, didn't see anything. We got back to the hotel. We were sitting there that evening. I'm looking over the footage. And I stopped and I rewound it a couple of times. Two white specks 
came up on the camera, danced around and shot off. I mean, and I'm like, what? So I sent it to Sharon. She's the owner of the property. She goes, yeah, that's the family. They came to check you out. That's the orbs. They live there. And I'm like, and I just, I, I still get goosebumps telling the story, but I've seen an orb. I know I have. And I strongly feel, I mean, it's just, was amazing with my own eyes no but I, my camera caught it yep. and that footage is on my youtube page so if you want to go check that out go to you know just author steve out here on youtube and google mcpike mansion and you'll find that i mean it's had a ton of views um a few people say it's just dust dust filters down and floats by i don't think dust can just fly off the screen well so, haunted dust i suppose could <laughs> No, I agree with you 100%. I think, you know, there's so much out there that we don't know. And um, I'm also always been a very firm believer that when it comes to, I guess the word is apparitions. Mm. I don't know. And this is opening Pandora's box and we're not going to go all the way here. I'm just going to say it and we're going to take a break. But I've always felt from somebody who's had a lot of experiences growing up that I never felt like you physically formed and saw the person in front of you but more like you got an instant picture in your brain of what you were looking at that wasn't there before like you didn't make it up if that makes sense like you would suddenly feel like there's a soldier standing in the corner blah 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 there's some that I think absolutely can form that way but I think a lot of them are uh like that like generated i don't know what the word is mark there might be a technical word you know but like there there's there's technical words for all that but we'll save that for another podcast another podcast but i i feel like what you saw was exactly that and that what your camera caught was that so anyway with that we're going to take a break and hopefully you're completely creeped out when you're listening to our commercials and we'll be right back with drinking with authors listeners you know me eric lance you're just listening to me in the podcast that you have but guess what i'm doing something new yeah she's joining me mark muncie the author of the erie florida book series in erie appalachia and we are hosting a new podcast called erie travels erie travels which covers things like ghosts cryptids weird stuff ufos men in black all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. sufficiently creeped out as we come back with drinking with authors okay so steve how many books have you published now i have um good question seven eight on the market um i have two more coming out um some of them are re-releases so i I do want to emphasize that um i recently signed a um, five-year ten book deal with the four horsemen publications and i couldn't be happier with 
they are not a vanity press. I could not. I'm just super thrilled. I think, I think when you're looking for a, um, a publisher, you have to find someone that fits you. And I think it's going to be a great fit for me and I hopefully for them. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I, I think that when you're looking for how you want to publish, you have to find what works for you. And some people, we talk about traditional publishing, but some people are way better off being self-published. There are control freaks. And I say that with the most supreme admiration for control freaks, because I, Mark will tell you, we interact a lot. I happen to be one of those for the most part. I've been working on- The hell you say. <laughs> control everything you know but no seriously uh um you you have to some people they're just better off but if you're going to go that route you do have to pay for your cover your typeset your editing as individual costs and find people who work really well with you right Uh, um but i think finding the right publisher is great also steve you are an event whore you do so i say that with supreme love um you do a ton of events what is that like i think it does more than me yeah which is impressive because fuck mark you're everywhere you just you just throw your event kitty at everyone but steve you're an event it's an adult podcast i can say shit like that you um steve you do a ton of events let's talk about that for a minute well um I struggled to find an audience and I think I started doing events just to get my name out there. I, I can't remember the author's name. He, he went, he bought a, like, I think it may have been Tom Clancy. I don't remember, but he bought like 500 of his books, put them in a, in a, in a wagon, went door to door trying to sell them just to get his name out there. Yeah. And um, am I, am I right, Mark? Was it Tom Clancy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was he actually got passed over by every publisher, and it was actually the Navy Press printed his books and only sold it in Naval Academy, so he couldn't get it into bookstores or anything. And he literally bought a wagon load and and took them to bookstores and houses. So it's an amazing story, but it's true. But you know, and and I I kind of read that story, and it's been a long time since I read it, uh, and I was like, you know what, I got to get my name out there. Now social media is great but it only does so much. Um, And I wanted to start doing, so I went online, I was looking for just local events. We started off doing, you know, weekend craft fairs. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a good fit because everyone's selling jams, honeys, homemade crafts and arts, and I'm the only author there. So it, it, and, and it was like 25 or $30 to sit there for, you know, a day. And it really became a, a great marketing thing for me. And the more I did it, it was like every event I do. And still today, I still learned something this past weekend in an event. Um, so you, you're constantly learning. You're constantly changing what you do. And I decided I want to make my events more like I want you to be a part of my family. So, I, you know, I, I want to take my time and talk with you. I want to get a picture with you. I like to post the pictures up on my website in the gallery page. So for those that don't have their camera or don't want a picture at the time, if you change your mind, you can go into the gallery, bring up your photo, right click it, download it yourself to your own computer and have that memory. 
Um, it's just something, and the events have grown, and I, I'm starting to do larger events. I'm becoming guests at a lot of the events. That's a wonderful thing for me. Um, it was just something that I was at an event one day, and someone said, why don't you, you know, I sell, you know, artwork, and I don't, you know, I, I hire people to do this. I have them printed. I just sell art. But you have a talent. You're a writer. Why aren't you a guest? Why are you spending your money to be here? So I started entering award competitions, winning some awards. I've won seven awards for three of my books. Um, I've been a featured, or not featured, but appeared twice in the national magazine, Story Monsters, Inc. And I'm like, I use those credentials to talk about. And a few of them, they will. They'll bring me in as a guest. And I'm honored to be there and do a panel and talk to people now. So, I mean, I love it. I think that you went about that a very... Um, interesting, but very correct way. And I do mention that when I talk to authors a lot of times about doing quote unquote conventions, it is fantastic if you want to go to a huge convention, like especially if you're a paranormal horror fantasy, like romance authors, unless you've got one of these other tags that I just mentioned, sci-fi probably won't do as well, like a Megacon or a Tampa Bay Comic Con or one of these. But those booths are hundreds and hundreds of dollars, right? Even for a little artist table. So unless you are going to be able to produce sales, the juice isn't worth the squeeze on that necessarily. But there are smaller little local art shows and art fairs and craft shows. And I, I get it. Yeah, there's not a lot of um, authors here necessarily, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, people are looking at stained glass, I mean, stockings, whatever. Oh, a romance book, you know, like... <clears throat> and especially if you're a kid's book author, because again, and we had a kid's book author on recently, and I was like, you know, that's a whole different advertising situation and, you know, something that Four Horsemen's looking into. But overall, your audience is usually not on a phone. You know, they're not usually scrolling through Facebook to see an ad or scrolling through Amazon to see an ad, you know, they're busy playing, what is it, Sharky, or what is it, Little Sharks, what the hell am I thinking of? Anyway, um, I know there's some shark show that is little kids, what the hell is that, Mark, why don't you know what it is? I don't have little kids anymore, I don't know this, though. don't get me singing that, no, it no, 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 baby show. no, what's, what's fun is uh, we talked to uh, Chris Grabenstein, uh, who you know, who writes for James Patterson's I Funny and his middle school books. And one of his things was he loves the younger audience because, mm -hmm. you know, you've got a new one every five years. You know, literally, you've got a grand new audience that's the, that could read your book for the first time. Uh, and then the best, but the best thing he was like, is like, if you write a really good story and really good characters, they will love you forever, but don't ever date Yo, your story, like, because uh, that was one of the things. Don't mention Baby Shark. Don't mention, because uh, I guess one of the things that he was writing was, uh, was talking about uh, they wanted him to, this kid had curly red hair, and they told him, oh, make him sound like Sean White. Say he looks like Sean White. And now back in the day, Sean White, everybody knew him. He was the Flying Tomato. He was this snowboard genius. But now, who knows Sean White? Kids certainly today don't know Sean White. So that was the best decision he said he ever made. And I think that's why your book's, do so well with the younger audiences. Again, they're not 
you know, you oh, there's not the latest iPhone. There's not the latest Flappy Bird game mentioned and stuff like that. So I mean, I, I mention cell phones. I mention tablets sometimes. But, but you keep it very generic. generic. Yeah, it's not like specific time period. So. Yep. Well, I don't think we're getting rid of the cell phone for many, many generations. There will be an iteration of a cell phone, um, you know, because they're making AI possible for Elon Musk. Mm. Um, so what is up and coming for you, Steve? What's on the agenda? What's what? Where, where are you going from here? <clears throat> well, I, I mentioned a little earlier, I signed a, uh, a contract with the Four Horsemen Publications which was probably one of the highlights of my career. I have to say that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I wasn't paid to say that, Mark, okay? I was going to say, people are going to start I, thinking I, I'm paying I'm, you guys to say was, that, so stop saying that. Okay, well, let's rewind the tape a minute. You know. Yeah, yeah just... Mark, what, yep. what were you going to say? No, no, I was going to say, I, I, I was just Venmoing him the money right now, so... I hope it's a lot. Let me let me check my phone. That wasn't enough, Mark. Well, he told me I didn't. Yeah. We hadn't paid him yet, so I was I was just making sure we got it done. So. <laughs> uh, but, but no. Um, so I've in March March second, um, the Ghost Hunter re-releases. I love the cover they've done. Um, I love the adjustments that they've made and helped me make with the story. Um, I honestly, and I, and I tell people this all the time. That, that know me and I've told my wife, Tony, um, I feel like I've gone from a high school football team and been promoted up to like the college level. So, I mean, I'm, am I in the top five? Am I in the professional ranks yet? No, but I, this, they're taking my work to the next level. And that's what I've been missing. That's what I've been wanting to do. You know, you get that one opportunity to hook a reader. And if you, if they love what you're doing, they're, they're there for life. You know, I know like myself, I get stuck on certain authors and I'm buying all their books every time they come out. And well, this was a bad one, but their next one might be better. You know, I mean, because you're not going to put out a, a, a bestseller every time. But no. Um, so in March, the Ghost Hunter re-releases. I'm super thrilled about that. Um, I love the new story. I love the cover. Um, in July, we are re-releasing um, what was originally titled Lizardville, The Ghost Story. Um, that is coming out now as the camping trip, a Lizardville Ghost Storybook One. Um, and if I didn't mention it, the Ghost Hunter, which is releasing in March, is a Lizardville side story. So we're going to make two different series, the main series and then the side stories, which are all interconnecting books. I kind of like to stay in that, you know, interconnecting world that I'm building and taking people into my world and what my childhood was like, what it's like to be in a small town in central Pennsylvania. I mean, kind of like something like Stephen King has done with, and he's always talking about Castle Rock or Bangor, Maine. He's always bringing what he knows into his stories. And then um, we're following up with Jimmy's Curse, which is a Lizardville um, ghost story book two. And that comes out in September. I'm currently working on Old Man Smithers. Old Man Smithers is a Lizardville side story. He's a character in the Lizardville ghost stories, but he's just a crotchety old man and he hates the kids. And I want to explain why. So I'm going back. Um, I'm writing his story as to what happened, why he, because he used to love kids. I can tell you that. That's a little bit of a, 
a, a spoiler for the book. He used to love kids. Now he's got this grudge against him and he hates him, doesn't want him on his property. And I want to explain what happened and why. And yeah, there's going to be the paranormal element, of course, because it still takes place in the same area of the country in, in Lizardville, Pennsylvania. And then I've, I'm kind of doing some, you know, taking a lot of notes and working on another one called, um, I haven't decided whether I want to call it the final chapter or my return to Lizardville. So I can put book three, you know, um, next year in 2024. I want to get that one, put the rest and and work on just a few more side stories after that. Um, but that's really what's in the work. I, like I said, I, I like working on the Gabby Maddox books. And I would also like to write um, Surviving the Writing World and some of my you know, trials and tribulations, things that have happened to me, what to look out for, talk about the vanity presses, what to avoid. Because when I go out and I give some of these, you know, talk on some of these panels, like there's a lot of young aspiring authors. And I tell them all the same thing. You know, the minute you put pen to paper, you're a writer. And don't let anyone take that away from you. You know, you are a writer, but you may not be a published author. And what to expect when you're chasing, you know, um, an agent, because I've had probably 150 rejection letters. And it's funny how when you start printing them off and collecting them, how much they all say the same thing. You know, it's not yeah, the right form letters. letters. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're just a standard form letter. They all seem to be using the same one, if you ask me. But I've, I've, I actually had um, one agent from New York City telling me that you know, I really liked your story. What we need to do is send you to my editing school. So for just $3,000. And I'm like, nope, I fell for that once <laughs> because there's no promise. If I take your editing school and, and get better writing practices, there was no promise I was going to still get published. So I stuck with, they call it self-publishing. I call it, you know, independent publishing. I like to put a better word to it. Um, one of the downsides of self-publishing or independent publishing yourself is when I'm at, when I'm at cons, I've actually had readers come up. Are you self-published? Because I don't buy them anymore. I've, they've fallen for too many because there's too many people doing it, not doing the right things. They're not hiring an editor. They're not hiring the right, you know, um, illustrators. They're not doing the right book formats. And it's a learning process. I mean, some people just want to rush to get their work out there and then they put out a subpar product and I'm a perfectionist. I want the best product I can get on the market. I mean, my books have been through 20 rounds of editing. I mean, from my own self to my wife, back to me, um, printing them off, rereading them again, sending them to professional editors, getting them back. Better readers read them, alpha readers read them, and they send them back with, hey, well, I found this. I fix it again. You know, we do it again. And it's just frustrating. So when I got picked up with the Four Horsemen, and it was one of the first things I asked was, you know, okay, now that we're done with the editing, when you guys complete that, can I get a copy to read? And like, no, we have a quality control department. I felt good about that. I really did. They have somebody else going through and checking the book. You, know, oh, yeah. you have to because, I, you know, it's interesting because I think I don't think self-publishing should have a bad name. I think that what needs to happen, however, and I think it is happening. It's just, of course, anything like this is like the Titanic. It's slow moving is 
that more and more, there are so many people who are self-published that do the editing process and the typesetting and the covers and do it all right. And then there are people that just throw stuff up. I mean, yes, the first novel, it might be hard to tell if somebody has, but one thing anyone can do with self-published authors is take a look at their reviews and things like that. Like, what do they have? How many works do they have? If they're publishing a series, how many of the series have they put out? Because there's another thing that authors, whether it's self-published or traditionally published, the especially because now publishers, and I don't say all publishers, but a lot of publishers will give a shot for the first book and see how it goes, maybe the second. But if you have a three-part series, they don't, like they used to, give you a three-part deal, right. right? And we see that even with, um, who was talking about that? Was it Melinda Snodgrass who was talking about that? Who's been an author for 80 billion years? Like, I, I want to say it was her. Like, she published, was going to publish a three-part series, and they mismarketed two of the books and put them in the wrong categories. And then she'd written the third one and they went, oh, we're not going to publish that. And you'd go, but that's the third part of the damn series. Like, what are you doing? And so people get like, I don't want to get invested if it's going to be not great. And you see that a lot on Kindle Unlimited too and things like that. And, you know, um, there, there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down. But I think I, I get why people say that now. Like it is... You know, one of my biggest pet peeves as a reader is opening a book and there's going to be errors no matter how many people read a book. We Absolutely. see that because we have authors that are the big names and I'm using quotation marks, the top 1% of people who have books out. Stephen King was an example with the book, The Cell, where he had not a great editor, not yep. great proofreaders apparently. And that thing went out with so many problems that he listed on his website how to email him about problems with his books because we get they we get thrown off but if you're thrown off at the beginning of the story and somebody's changing tenses all the time and all that you know you're like ah, i can't read this <clears throat> so i get why they can end up with quote unquote a bad name you know um but uh so that's exciting on the horizon for you steve um very cool mark mark my friend I'm going to give you the final question. Okay. All right. Well, Steve, you, like I said, you've, you've done the, you've, you've, uh, you've had the bad experiences. You've had the good experiences. What is your best experience so far as a writer? Um, I think the very first time that I was at a show and someone came up to me and said, Hey, I bought your book last year and I see you have a new one out and I came back to get the new one. I was also, and that just, it really warms my heart. Last year, um, I was at an event over in Bartow. Um, and I know, I know you know which Sci-Fi Bartow. It's Bartow, great, Bartow, we love it. No, call it out. Sci-Fi Bartow. We love Sci-Fi Bartow. Yeah. Sci-Fi Bartow. Florida, by the way, anybody who's listening. Yeah, the Bartow. whole town turns into a Comic-Con and it's free. It's amazing. Yes. Free parking, free admission, and you get to go have a good day. Um, it's a family event. I mean, this year I'm going in my space outfit. I'm really going to push my blast off book with Gabby and Maddox. I've got my space suit. I got my, my uh, Maddox, you know, name tag put on there now. And I got me a real nice space helmet. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm gonna, really going to push that book. Um, but anyway, I was at that book, like my, my second year I was there, I had a guy come up to me and he goes, um, 
you're Steve. I said, uh, yes. And he goes, good. My niece sent me here. She couldn't be here today, but she bought your book last year. And she wanted me to stop here. And I've been walking up and down these streets until I found you so I could get your book and take and get it to her. And I said, oh, great. And so he's buying the book. And I, I said to him, I said, do you want me to personalize it to her? And he goes, sure. And I, I, I said, so what's her name? Well, I, I call her. Oh, well, what's her real name? I said, yeah, what's her name? Hold on. Let me text her. <laughs> this guy didn't even know her name, but it was it was hilarious. And finally he tells me her name. So I put it in there and because uh, that's how she wanted it in her real name. Not not the middle name Snooky or something, whatever he called her, a pumpkin or a pookie or whatever. But yes, yeah, because no, I want my real name in there. And then I said, you know, well, how do you spell that? And he, well, let me double check that a minute. But it was a hilarious moment. But it was just a great feeling um, to have someone come looking for me. Last year when I was there, I had five or six different people come looking for me. Um, every there's just new experiences all the time. I mean, I've sat in on a panel. This weekend, uh, it was titled for Paranormal and, and Mystery Paranormal. I had like 30-some people in there Saturday. I, I was like, I can't believe all these people were in here to see me. I had brought in a few other authors. We turned it into a nice author panel. It was fantastic. Um, another fantastic moment for me. Um, I, I, I love meeting some of the movie stars. Um, I've met several of them, still friends today. I had... Um, Peter Clemens, he was on a show called Beyond. And um, he was the guy in the yellow jacket. I didn't like his character, but when I met him in person, he was so cool. And he commented yesterday on one of my posts this weekend from about when I was out of Center, Florida. He made a comment. Hey, good job, Steve. And I was like, are you kidding? Really? Um, when I was doing a show last year in St. Louis, um, one of the podcasters up there made a comment. Steve Alpure's coming here. We're going to have him up here at the St. Louis Comic-Con. And uh, Eddie McClintock, who was on um, Warehouse 13 on the Sci-Fi Channel for five years. I met him a couple years ago, and we have become good friends. He made a comment, you know, hey, this is a great guy. You guys are all going to love him. Those are just special moments. But I think the, the icing on the cake was signing. And, and I was not paid to say this, Mark. But if you want to send more money on the Venmo, please do. Um, the icing on the cake was signing a five-year deal with the Four Horsemen Publications. I, I really you know, Steve, you're costing me a lot of money being on this podcast. I'm just, this is definitely. <laughs> now, and the way, the way the whole thing went down, and so I'm a fiction writer. So, I mean, I'm going to embellish a little bit on every story. But the way it all went down, I love it. And I tell the story all the time. So, you know. And it just, it was like, I was honored that you guys kind of pursued me in a way. As, as um, the COO had said that um, she was stalking me. And yes. And uh, well, and, and that's didn't me out either. So it was nice. Yeah. I mean, to put it out there for anybody listening that's an author and an aspiring author, already published or self published and just hating the world. Look up Four Horsemen Publications, or if you're nonfiction, Accomplishing Innovation Press, that's our nonfiction arm. You know, we're series multi-book authors for the most part, not on the nonfiction side, because you didn't really don't have that as much. But, you know, the reason we did this is to bring a publishing apocalypse, to change how it is so people have stories like the one 
you have, Steve, and you're not on the show because of this. You've been on Drinking with Authors before. This is your your second appearance. It wasn't like, hey, you know, Steve's going to come plug this because that that's, you know, that's a crowbar separation from where we are on the podcast. But I think that there are a lot of smaller presses out there that are starting to make a difference in the publishing world because they are starting to do things differently and are being started by authors who have that business side that go, we can make a difference here. And I'm hoping one day in the not too distant future, the way we talk about the publishing world is like this and not the way it is right now, because that's that's what it's gonna be about is making that art space safe and wonderful and brilliant for anyone who wants to be a part of it, you know, and is willing to put in what you're, you've put in to be there, not give the money to the vanity press side, but all the other stuff, wonderful stuff you've done to create great stories for the generation who's starting to read, which is huge. You know, we do need to make sure people are reading it so easy with cell phones and things like that to have games or shows and stuff like that but we got to get people reading because you know those stories there are so many millions and millions of them out there that there are whole worlds you can explore if you know how to do it you know okay one thing i'll say about the four horsemen i mean it was a great fit for me um just because you know i was looking for someone that when as a self-published author to begin with when i'm done with a story i can get it on the market fairly quick you know if i had an agent and they they shopped it for a year and then finally got it sold it could end up two years or three years down the road before it hits the market and if if there's a trend going on and, and this book fits in by the time they get it released the trend may be over and i've missed my boat so four horsemen get it out there from start to finish generally in about six months and yes. that's unheard of. And I love that idea. I really do. And a, and a top quality product, I, you, I can't complain. I can't. Well, Steve, thank you very much. Mark, stop sending him money. I cannot afford I'm, this. So I'm, stop I'm, 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 I'm tapped out. So the memo card is gone. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Okay, Steve, tell the world how to find you and your books. Oh no, we lost him. Did he freeze? Did no? I, I, no. I did too much Wi-Fi sending him money. So. Oh, this is what you. This is what happens when you send him all our money, Mark. Oh, now sorry. he's gone. He like can't. I've got the money. I'm out of here. Are we getting him back? There he's okay, back. Steve. Right, Steve. You you froze for a moment. We thought you took the money and ran. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell people how to find you? It freeze again. Oh my goodness. I thought okay. he was playing for a second. I thought, I he, thought he was too, but I don't think he's playing right now. Let me see if I can find oh, out. Now, he, now he's moving. I'm moving. Okay, there Steve, he is. how do you find you? Huh? How do you? I'm right here. <laughs> Shameless self promotion. I'm right here. I mean, what's to define? No. Um, you can find me on my website, stevealtier.com. That's stevealtier.com. Um, I'm working on a Linktree site. Um, I just recently learned about that. That was That's uh, something new to me. Never heard of it. But no, you can find all my social media sites are on there, um, places where you can buy my books, or you can actually buy them on my own bookstore, 
on the website. But again, stevealtier.com. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Steve, I am absolutely so glad you came back on the podcast, not because I wanted to spend all the money via Mark for your plugs for Four Horsemen. I appreciate those. But because you are a complete delight to have around. You are so much fun. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Mark, thank you for your amazing co-hosting, as always. Pleasure to be here, as always. And uh, looking for more eerie travels. We're, we're going to have fun with that, too. So. Oh, yeah. No, I forgot. It's, it's going to be way out when this goes out with the Eerie yeah. Travels podcast. If you haven't checked it out, you should check it out because me and Mark get to talk about weird shit. So, um, But also, don't forget to like and subscribe to us here. Please leave a review. We would love to hear from you because... We want to know what you think. And you actually got to be sober through this podcast. So you can tell us truly what you think. And then next time you can drink along because I'll be done with antibiotics by then. Anyway, don't want to, you know, ruin my liver or anything. But this has been your Heat With Authors. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.